Hello, fellow humans. Chris here again. So today, as promised, uh, I have a very special interview lined up. Uh, esteemed guest, I'm I'm very uh, uh, appreciative of uh, of you being here with me today. Um, this is a researcher, philosopher, award-winning author of Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think, uh, Andy Norman. Uh, Andy, thank you very much for being here with me today. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. Um, as you know, you know, you and I have you and I have been talking a little bit the last couple months about uh, different ideas. I I read your book. I loved your book. Um, I actually stumbled on your book in my own research for a documentary that I'm working on. Um, so you came to my mind because you, you're aware of the recent sort of controversy with uh, Joe Rogan uh, and Spotify. Yes. And uh, I thought of you because I know that you were actually on his his podcast a while back, which uh, in and of itself is actually kind of a huge deal. He's got like 12 million subscribers on, on YouTube. Yeah. So yeah, it um, was, it was, a, it was, uh, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm grateful to Joe for, for having me on his show. And, uh, to the extent that that makes me a, a non-objective participant in this conversation, uh, uh, everyone should take what I have to say with a grain of salt. <laughs> and that's that's fair of you to say that. And uh, I'm I'm sorry, my full disclosure is you may be taking a slight step down from Joe Rogan today. Uh, I don't have quite the same reach. Oh, but, I don't uh, know. <laughs> reach isn't, isn't the only uh, important consideration. True. Um so yes, I uh, I wanted to reach out to you um, because I felt that uh, well I I don't I don't really watch a lot of Joe Rogan but I kind of hear some of the clips some of the more inflammatory controversial clips that they play and uh, um, he did a video response to these controversy and I that's kind of what I wanted to focus on with you yeah. because I felt that a lot of what you talk about in your book that I really like is not just about the right thing, not just about what's factually correct, but how to think and how to sort of navigate the different things we hear in the media and other platforms. And I really felt his, his response to me kind of felt like a non-apology apology, where mm. he's sort of absolving himself of the responsibility and saying, look, I'm not an expert. I'm just having a conversation. And I wanted to have some people who had differing opinions which on the surface sounds fair enough, but you yeah. look at his reach, you know, his 12 million subscribers. And I guess I wanted to ask you what, what, what point does, do you have a certain responsibility to kind of get it right? Yeah. Um, I think this is a really fascinating and important topic, especially given the age we're entering where some people have huge influence the capacity to influence millions of people, people's points of view. Um, so let me back up a step. I mean, I, I wrote a book called Mental Immunity, and, and it's all about how we can think more responsibly and, and become less prone to mistaken ideas by using some of the tools that both the sciences and philosophy uh, have have unearthed for spotting and removing uh, problematic assumptions and ideas. So that's where uh, th that's the work that brought me on to Joe's show. 
Um, and I'd have to say, I think he was a perfect gentleman. He was uh, very gracious when I was there. We had a lot of fun discussing my book over the course of three plus hours. Um, and and Joe's very good at finding common ground with his his guests. And I think one of the things conversation is for is for carving out that such common ground. So I I, um, I, I credit him with ha- with exemplifying the art of listening and learning from other people and trying to find places points of agreement. I think that's a really important talent that he has and that he's doing the world a service by sharing it. And there's something deeply problematic about giving a platform to uh, science denialists and conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones. So uh, the particular controversy that you're referencing um, uh, cropped up when the musician Neil Young decided to withdraw from Spotify in protest of Rogan's having platformed two COVID uh, denying scientists, one Dr. Peter McCullough and two Robert Malone. Right. Now, I I have not listened to Malone's and McCullough's episodes on Rogan. Um, I trust the scientists who say that these guys are not representing the facts uh, fairly and honestly. Uh, or or accurately. And I think Joe himself is beginning to understand that it's very problematic to give a huge platform to people like that. Right. Um, So I guess I'll I'll start off with this kind of uh, statement about where I sit on this. I think Joe means well. Um, and I think he's been a little bit slow to understand the huge influence he's gained. Mm-hmm. He gained that influence simply by inviting people onto a show and talking to them, which in, in, its, in and of itself is a f- very, very fine thing. And it grew into something that even he doesn't quite comprehend. And, um, uh, and I watched his video apology. Um, so his response to the Neil Young Spotify controversy was to apologize for the mistakes he's made and, and to say that he would try to do better. Mm-hmm. And he said he would try to do better by making, sh- he, he, as you mentioned, he basically said um, he likes to get many different points of view, lots of dis- different opinions on the show, and that he thought that the way to address that might be to have more people with the opposite point of view. Right. And that's, I think you've come, you've put your finger on the place where this is problematic. Because if you simply present both sides of a factual or scientific question, and one of those guests is a you know real scientist who takes his responsibilities to the evidence seriously, and the other side, and the, and the representative of the other side is not equally scrupulous, is not equally um, honest, then you create a false equivalence in people's minds, um, encouraging many people to think that COVID denialism is just as good as right. belief in COVID and belief in the vaccines. Sure. So, so I share your qualms about Joe, and I think I don't think his video apology was a bad faith 
evasion. I think it was an honest, good faith attempt to come to terms with it, but I think he could move further in the direction you're suggesting. Yeah, it's a, you bring up a lot of good points there. Um, I think I agree with you that I do think he, I think it's a good faith uh, position. I, I know people personally in my life that are kind of like a Joe Rogan. Um, and, and as you said, if you, you know, I have, I have friends that I disagree with on some issues, um, some of them fairly big issues, but I can still maintain a, a good, you know, we don't let it get personal. And mm-hmm. I think that I agree with that. I think Joe Rogan is, is that way. Um, but also, like you said, there's a little bit of a problem with, it's almost like he's this sort of kid who's got his own lemonade stand and like doesn't know what to do with it there's (laughs) an old friend of mine um we were you know when when covid stuff started and then when some of the things with trump were were getting kind of heated um he was talking about how you know in the old days you'd have some crazy guy with a sign saying something and he's standing on a corner you know and that's his platform and just people all right that's the crazy guy in the corner but now, I mean, I didn't have to do much to make this YouTube channel. You know, it's not that hard to reach a lot of people, I mean, around the world. And that's kind of gets into what you talked about with the the responsibility that somebody like a Joe Rogan has. Um, and I'm also, I would say, I'm glad that you mentioned that you think he has a good faith because I agree. And I, I don't want this to come off as like, we're just picking on Joe Rogan specifically. He just happens to have a really big platform. And so there are obviously, like you mentioned Alex Jones. I mean, there's definitely people who are much more intentionally inflammatory. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think it's interesting to get kind of get into the uh, that sort of false equivalency. Like, is he taking those people off the corner and putting them up next to like, like a Bernie Sanders or something um, and acting like those are two of the same, you know, same thing or opposite sides of the same coin when they're not. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's, a, yeah, I think that's a legitimate criticism, something that Joe could listen and learn from. Um, I, I think it's important to be able to create a collaborative conversation space where you build common ground, even with people who have very different points of view. And Joe does that very well. Right. And it's also important, important once you've established that common ground to begin testing the ideas that are really genuinely questionable. And, and calling attention to their defects so that we know not to take them too, ter- too seriously. Hmm. And I'm not aware that Joe is as good as that. I, I think he could have a hugely positive impact on the world by adding his own skill set, adding to a skill set in that dimension. Right. Um, yeah. There's so, definitely- so, so I don't always think he does the... Some guests... So if, if I were in his shoes, I wouldn't even provide a platform to people like Alex Jones or Peter McCullough. Right. Um, but if I did, I would be very well prepared to challenge the views that the scientific community says are bunk. Right. Rather than let them pass by with relatively little critical scrutiny. I think we, I think certainly, it's certainly true when, that when you have a platform, Joe's size, that you have a responsibility to your audience and to the larger world to do something like that. And the, the ironic thing about that, though, is part of, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, part of Joe Rogan's 
allure, I think, is that he is very conversational. He's very much like just a guy that you'd be having a beer with in the backyard and just saying whatever comes to your mind. And I think people do like that. And I guess, um, you know, maybe maybe it would hurt his his brand for him Mm -hmm. to be better, because I, I know based on just reading some of the comments on some of his videos, there's some uneducated people uh that really love him because you know he speaks his mind i mean you know people thought that about donald trump also um so you know yeah you kind of alluded to it is there is there a number like when you have this many followers you need to start doing your homework or is it just sort of a way of thinking that we should all kind of ascribe to yeah i i think we have responsibilities with regard to what we think and say even if we never even get an audience of one, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're, your your own, your own audience, right. You have a responsibility to try to get it right. Mm-hmm. Now, now that doesn't mean that if you do your best and get it wrong, that, that I'm going to point fingers and, and cast negative judgments on you. Sure. But I do think it's important, especially in this highly connected age that we all do our best to spot and remove the problematic ideas. And by problematic, I mean false, I mean inflammatory, I mean um, likely to confuse people. There are many different ways in which ideas can be problematic. Right. And we need to be sensitive to all of them. So for, so for example, if I say something that's technically true, but guaranteed to inflame violent passions, I would not call that responsible speech, Right. So, so I think there are probably several dimensions along which we can assess claims and ideas, mm-hmm. and that the most responsible and the wisest people among us pay attention to all of them and are constantly on the lookout for, for indications that their ideas might be problematic in one way or another. Right. Um, I'm a philosopher by training, and I'm a big fan of the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates. Mm-hmm. And what Socrates was just masterful at was just listening really well, asking clarifying questions, and then patiently drawing attention to the problematic features of ideas simply by asking follow-up questions. Right. And when you do that, the way when you engage in that kind of conversation with people you start to become more and more sensitive to ideas defects and you're less likely to rely on them over much. Right. So I think in some ways, the solution to our wacky post-truth world is for all of us to learn from Socrates example and learn how to use clarifying questions. Mm -hmm. uh, And in some cases, critical follow-up questions to try to weed out the stuff that's likely to to spread misinformation or right. confuse or 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 um, harm people. That's kind of a good segue into one part in particular that you know you and I had talked with before uh, regarding your book. Um, there was a part in your book here see if I can pull the specific well I I can kind of paraphrase it anyway but it was it was a chapter on six immune disruptive ideas Mm -hmm. and uh, you basically 
I, I liked it because it it kind of in in a nutshell, it's basically saying, okay, yeah, maybe everybody has the right to their opinion, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to respect it. And uh, you know, a few of them in particular that I thought kind of spoke to this topic was the you had one that was we have the right to believe what we like. One was we have no standing to criticize others' value judgments, and mm-hmm. one was basic value commitments are not subject to rational assessment. And I, I really like those because they really tap into that idea that the kind of antithesis to um, rational thought being that, hey, man, you can't like if that guy. That's his opinion. You know, he he can have his opinion. And who are we or who am I to 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 judge that? Right. So right. that's kind of the, uh, the those are the things we need to start being not not being afraid to kind of call out our friends and family, even if they might maybe be kind of missing something. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll elaborate on that a bit, if you, a bit, if you like, because I think, I think this is, this is something I'm quite proud of having, you know, uh, gained a little bit of clarity about and written about in the book. So, so information, bad information can spread in kind of a viral fashion from mind to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is, how do you inoculate your own mind? How do you, build up your mind's defenses so that it can spot and filter out the bad stuff. Um, well, it, scientists have learned that the mind's information filtration system, it actually behaves like the body's immune system. Right. So it, the body's immune system will generate uh, antibodies to fight off a pathogen, and the mind will generate doubts and questions to fight off questionable or problematic information if you're using it properly. <laughs> right. Um, so you have to learn to listen to that little voice in your head that says, you know, something's not quite right here. You know, that doesn't quite square with other things I know. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm not so sure that's accurate or I'm not so sure that's um, wise. Um, if you make a habit of asking those questions, you're you become more sensitive to ideas, problematic features, and you're more likely to call them out. And nobody likes somebody who just runs around uh, criticizing everything they say. And in fact, the residents of ancient Athens committed, uh, sentenced Socrates to death because he was such a vociferous critic of of their unexamined opinions. Um, but there are gentle, affirming, um, collaborative ways to help people see that they might want to rethink things. Um, right. And and we need to learn how to do it in ways that don't make us enemies of one another. Sure. I guess the challenge is that, uh, you know, you sort of alluded to the idea of uh, it's almost like a use it or lose it sort of thing. Like you you can build up your mental immunity by sort of teaching yourself to ask those questions and not necessarily take everything that you hear. But at the same time, you go a certain, you know, especially if, if you're indoctrinated with certain beliefs as a young child, um, then they really become ingrained. And do you, uh, do you like go over the top to try to correct that? Or do you, do you have to do it in subtle ways? Because as you said, you, you have yeah. to be you kind of have to tread a fine line because you don't want to uh, have people not want to associate with you anymore. That's right. And, and of course, the ideas that people take to heart and, and integrate into their sense of identity, those are the really 
tricky ones to, mm-hmm. to question because people feel threatened. Right. So, so if your beliefs are part of who you are, or they feel like they're part, like a necessary part of who you are, um, then what, if I come along and question them, you're likely to get angry. And right. this is true of all of us. But what some of the wisest people in the world have advised is not to get attached to your beliefs. We don't have to identify with our beliefs. In fact, uh, an alternative that I point to in the book is you can identify instead with the process of inquiry, the process mm-hmm. of honest searching for the truth and have particular outcomes of that search be tentative resting places that you might later have to rethink. Right. Um, so the wisest people in the world, in, in my view, when I've had the luxury of studying um, you know, some marvelously talented philosophers for about 30 years, that they all say that this is the right way to conduct your your cognitive affairs mm-hmm. um, and and to to come back to the uh, uh, immune disruptive ideas so this process of filtering ideas by asking questions is like a an immune system like an immune response um, but if you don't do it right it, it it it'll let in lots of bad ideas and screen out lots of good ones and you don't want right. that. So it turns out that I that the idea I have a right to believe what I want, I have a right to my opinions, right, is is shuts down the mind's immune system. So if you use that to excuse your un uneducated opinions, um, you might gain yourself a little bit of protection from critical questions, but you're undermining your own best interests in the long run. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I, I argue that in in our culture, the idea that everyone is entitled to their opinion is almost an orthodoxy. Almost everybody, left and right, think that that's true, because there's a sense in which we want to treat, because it's true that we have a legal right to our opinion, but that doesn't mean we have a moral right to right to any old opinion that we happen to have. Right, and. It's interesting because I think this 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 topic this kind of gets into another section of your book also where you talked about um, like there it's okay for us to have certain established values like there are objective moral like we all agree I mean us normal people i guess we agree that murder is is wrong and we shouldn't kill other people and i think that's i think we can we can agree that that's something that we don't really need to discuss that issue any further and i think that while that seems like a fairly obvious one i think the overarching point there is that it's okay to say no this is the truth like there's that there's that fine line as you said with um, letting people have their beliefs but sort of giving people equal weight for something that really is kind of demonstrably false has, right. does have some problems. Yeah. I like to say that um, every person deserves respect, but not every opinion deserves respect. Mm. Yeah. There are many of, and I mean, maybe, and it's possible that even a completely irresponsible opinion deserves to be listened to politely and responded to in a, with a measured tone of voice, because that's the best way to, to help wean somebody off of a mistaken idea. 
but but look the the idea that the earth is flat is is not as good as the idea that the earth is round it's right. just not it's false right it's it's delusional it's um mistaken it's flies in the face it's irresponsible um and the same is true of many 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 factual beliefs um yeah and because we can no one of us can can become an expert on any on any more than a fraction of these things we have to rely on others right to investigate these things for us and this is the one of the real beauties of science is that there's a division of labor and experts in in very narrow domains go really deep and they develop very accurate and precise understandings of these things and for the most part scientists know to respect the opinions of other experts and right. so cosmologists study um, accept what the immunologists tell them and the chemists accept what the geologists tell them that's not unthinking blind faith in one another that's a smart educated trust in right. a process that is genuinely that is genuinely reliable now science makes mistakes but it's more reliable than any other belief fixation method or belief determination method we've ever hit upon as a species right yeah that's uh that's a good point and uh you know as you said uh science is always growing and evolving and i think one of the byproducts unfortunately sort of on the other side here is um you know again sort of talking backtracking to that sort of equal weight on two conflicting ideas um people like even in joe rogan's response he he had mentioned that uh which actually wasn't factually correct either but he had mentioned that you know eight months ago you could have said if you had said that uh the vaccines that if you get a vaccine you could still spread covid you'd been banned from social media which is completely untrue first i mean nobody has ever actually said i mean nobody in a position of uh, educational authority has ever said getting a vaccine is going to 100% stop you from getting or passing on COVID. It's about lessening the risk. But he kind of, he creates this false pretense like, okay, see, the science has changed, which that part is true. The science does change. Like you said, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go along with it. it, it it's kind of almost analog uh, like analogous to you know, people talk about like in politics, like a flip flopper and obviously like flip flopping on issues purely for political reasons is that's one thing. But if you if you get new information, you kind of do have a responsibility to maybe change your thinking on something. I, I've certainly had issues that I felt one way about. And then I actually when when COVID first started, I actually wasn't that worried about it. I for the very beginning of it, I thought, OK, it's going to just blow over. But then I very quickly learned that okay this is going to stick around for a while and to me that that's represents an admirable ability to learn from experience and we should all aspire to i think be similar now i myself harbored many false ideas about viruses and and vaccines at the start of the pandemic hmm. um my mental model of vaccination was that you know once you're immunized against smallpox you will never ever get smallpox or once you're immunized against chickenpox, you'll never ever get ch chickenpox again. Right. Well, it turns out that it's not that cut and dry. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and uh, this all 
became very personal because I, shortly after the pandemic began, well, I, I guess this was mid-pandemic, um, my mother was was admitted into a, a, a old age home where she had to isolate. And we, her children, who she desperately needed for for companionship, weren't allowed in for fear that we might spread the virus mm-hmm. to her. And I remember some getting very hot under the collar and heated in some of my conversations with the hospital administrators saying sure. she needs our company because um, she's really suffering right now. And frankly, you don't under- know what you're talking about when it comes to uh, the vaccine. Well, it turns out I was wrong about some of, some of the things I had assumed about, about the right. virus. Um, so I had some egg on my face there from having um, gone with my best understanding and then later learned that, you know, actually people who understand this far better than I do would not have agreed with me. So I had to, had to change my mind. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I, I will say that uh, I think if there was ever a situation where you deserve a pass, I think that that would qualify, obviously, you know, trying to, that's an admirable thing to try to be there for your mother. And, uh, uh, you know, I, obviously you, you would try to do whatever you could to do that. Uh, and, and as you said, with my example, you, you did change your thinking once you came across the correct information. So, yeah, well, I think. And the hospital administrator, or the, I'm sorry, the old age home uh, uh, administrators, they listened to what people like me were saying and they right. amended their policies as well. It was, there was, there was, uh, there was give on both sides. Right. So I know that this isn't something that there's just one catch-all solution to, um, but the, the reason why I had reached out to you initially a few months back was because I am also working on this sort of side project and the documentary is kind of, without getting too much into the weeds, it, it's sort of exploring kind of the last three or four years. And um, I really wanted to kind of focus on the, the January 6th insurrection as well. Um, mm-hmm. And what led, because obviously that was an example of a very serious, uh, tangible uh, effect of very, very warped thinking by people that w- all the evidence they needed was a president saying, hey, this was a scam. And obviously, we see the indications um, in other areas of, of the world as well, where flawed uh, thinking can lead to detrimental, serious uh, uh, outcomes. Is, is, there a, is there a solution to that? Or is it just something that is just going to snowball and get worse and worse? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to wake up and acknowledge things like um, not all speech is morally permissible. I mean, maybe we don't want to crack down on irresponsible speech using the full force of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't use other forms of deterrence and, and sanction. I mean, it seems to me that if you stop listening to a podcast that consistently airs irresponsible views, that's a, a permissible way to push back. Right. Against it. Right. And there are many other, I mean, it's, it's okay to criticize. That's a reasonable form of pushback. Right. And not all criticism amounts to censorship. We, we can't conf- conflate those. I think actually that um, satire and irony and ridicule 
and shaming all have roles to play in sure. curtailing the spread of mis and disinformation. It's not always the nicest thing to do, but sometimes it's the right thing to do. Right. And and you brought up censorship, which I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another one of those things. Um, you know, you look at Twitter, for example. Obviously, Twitter banned Donald Trump, and so did Facebook. Um, and he and many others uh, would classify that incorrectly as censorship, um, which, you know, censorship, I mean, I studied, uh, I studied media in college and censorship has to do with the government taking over, which that absolutely goes against the First Amendment. But uh, ironically, to say that Twitter has no right to censor Donald Trump is actually going against Twitter's uh, constitutional rights. Well, I, I would use, to make your argument even stronger, I wouldn't use the word censor there in the last part. I would say Twitter's right to withdraw its platform right. from Donald Trump, right? I, right. I, I know you agree with the spirit of this, but yeah. in other words, there, there's a difference between censoring and deplatforming. Sure. And some deplatforming is genuinely problematic. I mean, sometimes a controversial speaker will be uh, booked at a university and other students who oppose that person's message will will have a have a fit mm-hmm. and basically throw kind of a collective tantrum and end up getting that speaker's invitation revoked. Right. Um, I'm not a fan of that kind of deplatforming, um, right. and there are some examples of it that I detest. But it does seem to me that Twitter and Facebook did the right thing when they said, you know what, Donald Trump's record, his irresponsible use of speech is now so thoroughly documented that we can no longer afford him access to this very huge soapbox that we've been lending him all this time. Right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, I, I mean, that's kind of the gist of what I wanted to talk about. I, I did want to ask you uh, if you had any other projects in the long, uh, coming up, like any more books that I can look out for or any other uh, appearances that we can look for you in. Kind of you to ask. Uh, I, I wish I had time to be working on the next book right now. Uh, that, that's had to take a back seat. Uh, look, the, the last book, Mental Immunity, it's been almost a year now since it came out has been has generated so many interesting possibilities. Uh, I've founded a research institute to bring together all of the top researchers who are kind of thinking about how you, we can combat misinformation and disinformation. And we're going to work together to, to sketch out better strategies for preventing corrosive untruths from, from destabilizing democratic societies and harming our collective lot. So um, there's there's an international institution. In fact, um, nations all over the world are concluding that it is becoming really, really hard to maintain a stable democratic society in the age of social media. Hmm. Um, We can't just resign ourselves to that and watch while while you know vitriolic uh, online exchanges tear us apart, we need to find solutions to this. So along with other people who do research in this field, we're actually um, devising solutions 
that can actually help to strengthen our mind's resistance to myths and disinformation. I hope that that is able to stick. I hope that that's able to kind of pick up uh, steam because that's certainly certainly important. Um, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, it is. It's almost kind of akin to to climate change, where it's uh, it, it, there's there's unfortunately a lot of people that are not quite there yet, um, and you do get pushback. I mean, I mean, in general, you get pushback, and you personally get pushback. I know from reading some of the comments on some of the videos you've been on, um, you know, there are people that don't agree with you and think that you might be kind of an authoritarian or trying to tell people how to think. And unfortunately, that sometimes can have that opposite effect for those people, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that have been going a certain way all their life, that they don't have those tools in place in their, in their immune, in their mental immunity, and it almost, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do what you do. I mean, I absolutely think it's important. It's why I reached out to you. But uh, I, it's just it's just one of those things that uh, I guess there's not there's not one singular solution, but it's going to take all of us rational thinkers, like you said, that kind of, I guess, to do our part. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It, it's, this is a kind of an all hands on deck situation, and, and we can't expect... Uh, everyone to to like and celebrate what we're trying to do either there there are going to be people who feel threatened by my message by by your message um and who don't see a a difference between gently trying to encourage responsible thinking and speech and being an authoritarian about speech i mean there are clear differences there right right um and uh and in fact it's not that hard to help someone understand the difference, right? So if, 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 um, if, if someone is using irresponsible reasoning to reach a conclusion that would harm another person's family, you can bet that the second person will care to want to change the first person's way of thinking. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the fact is the ways we think and believe can, uh, can affect the well-being of others. Right. Um, we've been living with this kind of uh, half truth or perhaps even a falsehood for a long time, which is that beliefs are private. Everyone's right. Everyone has a right to believe whatever they damn please, because it doesn't have any impact on anybody else. I'm sorry. That's false. Our beliefs impact the well-being of others, and that means other people have a right, uh, have a an interest um, in our thinking responsibly and well. Right. And, um, and that touches on a good point in general, which maybe is a good way to kind of close out this conversation because it sort of gets into the bigger picture aspect of it. Um, there are There are issues. I mean, we're seeing it right now. It's starting to kind of get into the LGBTQ. You know, we had we had gay marriage. Um, the obviously interracial marriage, and there was a lot of things back in the day that were the norm, societal norms, and they were not right. Uh, and those things are, I mean, progress d- demands that things are always going to be moving forward, moving and to change. Uh, there's always going to be something we can do better at. And um, I think that uh, I think that 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 particular perspective. And this is why I was drawn to your book. I think. 
that idea that not everybody necessarily has the right to that irresponsible opinion. That's a minority opinion, I think. I don't think most people agree with that um, yeah. yet because it kind of sounds a little bit like authoritarian in a way. Um, I I understand what you're saying when you say that. So I, I get it and I agree with that. But I do think it is one of those things that not quite a majority opinion yet. It's kind of like how, I mean, physician-assisted suicide may not be a, a majority opinion yet, but it's kind of working towards that direction. Yeah, and um, thank you for saying that. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I'm well aware that what I'm saying here is both controversial and can be perceived as sanctioning um, authoritarian thought, thought police. So I have a whole chapter titled um, thought, police, thought Police Need Not Apply. Right. <laughs> um, look, I, I'm not in favor of thought police. I do not want any centralized authority telling all the rest of us what to think. I'm, I, will, I will stand beside every single free thinker out there um, in doing battle against an Orwellian thought police. Um, and we need genu- gentle, collaborative, constructive ways of weeding out wrong ideas. And the most powerful technique ever invented for that is philosophical idea testing, or the kind of idea testing that Socrates went in for. And there isn't, there wasn't an authoritarian there's nothing inherently authoritarian about such idea testing. And in fact, it's needed because otherwise ideas, false and wrongheaded ideas begin to accumulate in people's minds and turn them into people who are willing to go out and harm other people. And if you recognize that threat, you have to, I think, concede that we can't just let a thousand cognitive flowers bloom because some of those flowers will be overrun by some of our Mental gardens will be overrun with weeds, and some of those weeds will will prevent um, can do huge damage to our collective right and and that sort of speaks to you know one of the things about Joe Rogan's statement about he he offered the idea that Spotify might start offering a disclaimer when he has those sort of controversial guests. Uh, that they don't jive with the norm. They don't jive with like popular opinion of the educated masses, as it were, which I guess is fair. It's good that he's saying that. At the same time, why would you platform someone that you're acknowledging that they don't, it's again, don't get that. Why do you have to get that guy off the corner? Let him be on the corner with his sign and, you know, bring on people that are actually doing their, their homework on these, on these subjects. I I like your point a lot, Chris. Um, uh, Think about, think about uh, at the beginning of the scientific revolution, when Galileo, who was one of the first people to see that Copernicus was right, that the earth revolves around the sun, not vice versa. Um, When he first voiced that opinion, Galileo did, he was the outlier. Right. Right. He was not he was outside the scientific consensus. And and Joe knows that you you need to provide space for dissenting voices. So this is a tricky thing, right? You want to hear dissenting voices so that um, comfortable, complacent uh, falsehoods don't last forever. (laughs) Right. Um, 
so I, I like that Rogan wants to hear dissenting points of view, uh, but not all dissenting views are created equal. Right. And and he derives a certain amount of uh, popularity, I think, by per, by platforming genuinely outrageous points of yes. view. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. Problematic. Right. And that's that's where it gets into that. That's where I feel like there's a responsibility because you build your audience off of this sort of method of saying these outlandish things. You know, you're you're kind of attracting a certain way of thinking and then you sort of you you recognize, "Oh, hey, this works. Look at all these followers I'm attributing. I should keep doing what I'm doing." Meanwhile, you have a purported uh, a, a expert doctor who's saying that ivermectin is an effective response to COVID and that cloth masks don't work. During a global pandemic, like you said earlier, there are some opinions that actually can have tangible effects. And I, I people could have died because of the things they heard on his show. Oh, it's almost certain that many, many people died because of the things. I mean, just statistically, it's overwhelmingly likely that people have died because um, Joe provided a platform to McCullough and Malone. Right. Um, That that might sound like a harsher condemnation than it's intended to. Uh, It's primarily a, a remark about the size of his platform. Right. And the responsibilities that come with it and just just the, the law of averages, just the sure. rules of probability. Yeah. Well, Andy, I, uh, I again, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I feel incredibly privileged and honored for you to take your time to talk to me. Um, I hope that we can connect again. And I, I hope that in, in some way I can help out with uh, with this endeavor to sort of reach out to more people and uh, kind of bring us all into this uh more rational way of thought thank you chris well keep keeps helping spread these ideas i think uh you're you're doing if i were had a different upbringing i might say you're doing god's work but uh i'll I'll just say you're doing good work i appreciate that thank you and and, uh thank you all for catching up with me again i hope you've enjoyed the interview the the book is mental immunity uh infectious ideas mind parasites and the search for a better way to think There it is right there. I've already read through it twice. I'm probably going to read it again. It's an excellent read. Please check it out and uh, have a great rest of your day. And remember, don't be afraid to question the consensus. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed this interview, please consider checking out uh, Andy Norman's book, Mental Immunity. Uh, As I said, it's a great read. I really enjoyed it. It helped me in uh, my research for my documentary and uh, it would would help me and it will help him. Uh, I'm going to have my little Amazon link down below. Um, if you wouldn't, if you would click it and purchase it, I would be greatly appreciative of it. Uh, thank you.